Hello, everybody. Today we are with Yochai Korem. Yochai is the CEO of uh, Cyberint, a threat intelligence company based in Israel. Hello, Yochai. How are you? Great. How are you? Good, Simon. Great to have you and see you. Um, so actually, Yochai, to be honest, when looking at your background, it's very fascinating, uh, both your professional life and, uh, you know, private life and hobbies. Tell us a little about yourself. 43 years old, the last one and a half years. I'm uh, enjoying the time being a CEO in my free time. In the other times, I'm doing my hobbies. You know, coming from 25 years with uh, intelligence and cyber, starting with, uh, like others, right, with the uh, uh, intelligence corps in, in Israel. Uh, which I would say shaped my career, my career and my my DNA in a way. Um, and you know, someone in the 18 or 19 years old doing some things that are you would never get to do even as a CEO today. Uh, and also getting connections and people who know me, and you know, that's how I think I, I got to the place I, I am today. Um, I started the role as a, I studied electrical engineering. Uh, I, I am a techie in a way. I, I like to do things myself in my own hands. I, I fixed my boiler yesterday when it uh, broke. Really? <laughs> yes. <Wow. laughs> I, I, I like, I like the technical things. I enjoy, I enjoy building and also uh, dismantling things and hopefully then building them again. Uh, so I, I said, what should I learn? I studied electrical engineering in Tel Aviv University. Uh, I actually got even a diploma. I'm certified uh, electrician, uh, I can sign plans of how to five stories buildings if you need the help uh, uh, in your uh, when you build something. Um, I'll give you a call. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it does help when you have electrical problems at home, you can, you can fix it yourself. I'm sure. As you saw yesterday. And, uh, but, but, and then I went to product, I worked for a chipset, I was an engineer and managed projects, and then I Someone from the IDF called me and says, you know, I have a position for a product manager in Verit. Uh, it was like almost uh, 15 years ago. And I says, you know, sure, uh, because I liked him. And then I found what is the product management. You know, it's very fascinating. What I would say in, in my DNA, I'm a product manager. I try to take the, what the market wants, what they need, and translate it into, you know, what the product does. And I think in, in the software business where I'm today in cybersecurity specifically, you need to understand what the problem and what people expect and then guide people on how to solve it. That's what I did for quite a lot of years until I became a VP product. Um, and then someone told me, you know, you actually should be a sales guy because as a product, you try to sell, right? You try to sell the product team, you try to sell the product to the customers, but you didn't. So then I moved into business and for, I think something like seven years, I, I built sales team and marketing and, and other things that are related to that. Uh, and a year and a half ago, I got a call from the board from Viola, which is one of the investors in Cybrate, since they were looking for a CEO. Um, let's, let's talk and, you know, we're here. Uh, so that's my professional background, I would say in a nutshell. That's fascinating, actually. Um, would you say that when you started, I'm not sure whether you tell me whether threat intelligence or you know anything close to that even existed, 
um, but would you even uh, think or consider do something around uh, cybersecurity back back in the days of you know university or or you know during the the beginning it, it wasn't called cybersecurity you know it was it was intelligence what is cybersecurity is protecting against for someone trying to get into your systems uh, as an intelligence officer you know I did it for again 25 years the goal is to collect intelligence maybe I open the bracket I, I try to explain what is intelligence because the threat intelligence company then no way it's it's part of it and it doesn't matter if I'm, I'm doing it for a brigadier for the prime minister or for CISO okay there are three layers in intelligence the way I interpret it the first layer is collecting data identifying data. It's very, very complicated in the digital world. Where are the sources? How do you collect them? How do you process them? It's very sophisticated. And, you know, if you have good sources, you have, you know, your intelligence is all, only as good as your sources. But this is the first layer only. Um, people who say I have the best sources, you know, so what? Go to the second layer. What's the second layer? How do you analyze the, the, the sources, the, the information you have? How you process and you come to a conclusion? So my role as, as, an, as an intelligence officer for CISO is to give a conclusion or understanding or analysis from the data that I have. And it's clear that I only have two pieces of the puzzle and not the entire puzzle. If I would be in a military world, I would give an example. Let's say I, I help a brigadier that needs to go now with the Russia, Ukraine. It's, this becomes very relevant, right? We see it in the news. So I see one anti-tank missile uh, post, and I see an outpost, you know, that looks and I don't know, observes on the road. So this is the two items I were able to collect in my sensors. Now my role as an intelligence officer is to understand that this is an ambush. And these are two elements of an ambush. There are 40 elements in an ambush. I didn't see the mines, but I know there is mines somewhere. It should stop the convoy and then the missile will hit them, right? Um, so now I've come to the conclusion there is a convoy, or there is, a, sorry, an ambush. Still, if I tell um, my, the, my recipient, my customer, right, there is an ambush, or I tell him the analysis, and it doesn't do anything, why do they need me? My role and the way I measure side brains, and what I measure in every role I do is, is intelligence, is what is the influence I have on the organization? Was I able, in the ambush example, convince the commander to move the troops not in the same road he planned, where going face into the ambush, or could I convince him to go around for a route that will go, you know, bypass the ambush? If yes, then he needs me. If not, why do they need me, right? I didn't influence the organization. I'm, maybe just to complete the analogy, I'm not trying to measure how many alerts, concrete, no false positive, timely, and all the rest of the adjectives you can give to alerts, right? We are all in threat intelligence. That's great. It's very important. I measure the organization and our system Argos measure the result on how much time it took our customer to remediate. If they don't remediate the problems, this means it's not important for them. Then we are wasting their time and we're not tuned to what they actually care. Or they didn't understand that it is important and we need to do better work in explaining to them. Anyway, we are measuring the, the remediation time. And we are talking, when I'm talking to a CISO or one of our customers, I ask them, do you know that your average remediation is four days and it is worse than others? Is that something you're willing? And let me open a bracket and tell you an example with one of our customers, a big bank. 
And, and it really highlights this to me and the rest of the organization. We found a fishing kit sold uh, to this customer and trying abusing an API. We alerted the customer. The customer uh, started the process internally in fixing it. Unfortunately, it took them two months because it's a bank. And when you have, you need to change an API in an application that has a few millions of uh, customers. Uh, it's not that easy. Unfortunately, after two months, the threat actor combining with the phishing activity was able to transfer money from accounts of 700 customers of this bank, which caused a very big noise in the media more than the direct impact, right? And now it became the board of director problem, not the CEO, not the CIO, not the CEO, the board of director. And of course, we were able to show we are very open even if we are successful or failure or fail in, in, our, in our activity. I think one thing the Israeli intelligence stand from the uh, 73 war, right? That you are not always right. And you need to admit very openly that you are wrong. And if you have a customer, you can engage in a discussion of, you know, talking where you have a problem or you are wrong or made a mistake, you can improve. So we told them, hey, we did find it on time and you decided or it took you too long to process it, two months, unfortunately, right? And this is the reason. Well, very good, you know, we actually work even closer today because they saw that we are, what we give as a recommendation is critical for the organization and they could, the cybersecurity team could bring it to the CEO and say, hey, the rest of the business units are not following our recommendation in, in the right time. This is the reason we are not able to protect the organization. It's not that the CISO, CISO was not good or the threat intelligence vendor was not good. It's the organization as a whole. So going back to your question, I believe that uh, we need to be influencing organizations, right? Uh, uh, and 25 years ago when I started, it was not about cybersecurity, but it was about influencing organization and to be more focused or be more successful in their goal. That's a very important point you're, you're making because a lot of people tend to forget the last stage of the intelligence cycle. and. <laughs> They, they, they only focus on, on delivering something. They don't really care about the impact or, or hearing feedback. And, and that's what closes the loop. So uh, I think your, your background here is, is very valuable, not only in product, but obviously having worked in intelligence to, to, to lead that company. But I'm, I'm curious, obviously in the way you're you know, shaping your product, your services, your, your background plays a huge role. And that's, that's a competitive advantage, I think, to have the experience you have to, to shape the product and the services associated with the product in your company. But as a CEO, in the way you manage your business, is that an advantage? Do you, do you feel like some of the things you learn as an intelligence officer are influencing the way you run business, the way you conduct your own business intelligence within your organization and try to correct course? Do, do you feel like it's giving you an edge as well as a CEO? 100%. Um, for multiple dimensions, okay? I joined a company that already had, I don't know, 60, 70 employees. It was running for a while. It had something in place, you know. How can you get people to trust you? You know, you're, you're a CEO by title, but what does it mean? Would people follow you? Would they do what you say? You know, in the job market today, people make a choice to stay in the company. I, and I, I'm, I'm saying thank you for every employee that says, wake up in the morning and said, I still want to be in cyber. For me, this is a decision they're doing. Okay, we all see it all around, right? Our friends changing, etc. So 
it's not enough to be a CEO. It could be a CEO of no one because people are leaving. I want to be a CEO where people trust that what I'm doing, the decisions I'm making are the right one for the company. So when I'm able to give them evidence that I have knowledge in what I'm speaking, right? It's easier for them to follow my, my suggestion and my request and to you know, follow my guidance. Um, I don't think I know everything, right? So I spend time with the analyst. I, I go and sit with the analyst once a week. I you know, ask, what are you doing? Show me. Show me the alert. What, what's the problem of the customer? Why did you choose to put it this way? And we conduct an analyst level discussion. Why is it important? Why don't you invest time there? Which sources? Did the product give it? Did you do it yourself? You know, and I understand from the point of view of an analyst, their work, their customer perception, the, how they use the product, and many other elements. Then the day after, I go to sit with the product manager. What do you think about that? You know, what information did you talk to the analyst? And I'm able to convert this, the, the problem now in the product management or with the R&D uh, personnel. My role as a CEO then, the second dimension is not, on, of course, to lead people, but the second dimension is to understand where we have gaps in the company. What doesn't work well? I'll give you an example from yesterday. We have uh, a POC running with uh, a customer in the States. They wanted to have an integration with a store. With simple, they they simplified, they wanted. And my uh, sales engineer opened a ticket uh, to our uh, support to generate a token for this integration, but they did it on the weekend in Israel. And when on Sunday morning, when the team in Israel asked, asked, asked one question to understand, you know, it was weekend in the US, and suddenly four days have gone by and everyone are frustrated that they are not giving the support to the customer. Getting into those details allows me as a CEO to understand we have a gap, we have a gap in how we do things and we need to change it in order to make it better. So my understanding in intelligence, in product management, in architecture, in sales processes, in marketing, allows me to uh, guide people better and also verify that we are as a team using our resources in a more effective way. And I would recommend any CEO of a company to try to know the details uh, of what they're doing because the devil is in the details, unfortunately, right? I didn't invent that. Trying to know the details, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, it's also very challenging, right? When, of course, the bigger the company, the harder, because, uh, of course, you can, you know, get into places uh, being flooded with information when you need to decide about a strategy and so on, or, or you know, places that many managers I know want to avoid, like micromanagement, things as that. So how do you, like, what things should one learn or at least keep in mind uh, when managing a team or uh, bigger than that, a company? What do you think? Excellent dilemma, by the way. And I think I probably had, I, I did fall in some of the pitfalls here uh, myself. Um, and I encourage, I'm not sure that always successfully to get feedback from my team where I'm too much into the details because then I overrule them or they have no point of saying, and you need to make as a manager a decision, which area you care about the details and you, you know, you will master them and what you say, I will not know the details and someone else will make the decision and I'm okay with the mistake if it happens. Okay. And it is a big question when to do it because you cannot be in every places all the time. And also if you do it continuously, you will, people will not work. Either they will not make decisions because they're afraid you will say, okay, you are wrong in this decision. So why making a decision in the first place where the, then the manager, the CEO in my, in my case will overrule. So what's the point? So you 
weekend your management. Um, and some of them will say, okay, I don't want to work this way. I, I, you know, I have my own understanding. I will work with someone who would allow me to do so. Um, on the other hand, sometimes things just take too much time and you have the responsibility to, to give, to execute and to bring results. So when I came in the beginning, when we did the pivot, you know, Cyberint was a service company where Argos was an internal tool that only our analysts used. Uh, it was like, uh, I would say the best kept secret. No one could access Argos. Only our analysts, uh, our customers received PDFs as alerts. Uh, and when I joined the company it was to pivot into a product company. So everyone can use Argos. Argos again is the name of the product. So I needed to make a very quick turn. And when you make a quick turn, sometimes you need to make decisions. People do not see the full picture. Uh, but this needs to be in a peak of time. And I, I again, I hope my, my management will agree with me, or my team will agree with me that I try to ask them where I'm doing wrong because I have blind sides, okay? So, and they, I can say most of them, I have a very open relationship when they stand here, you made a mistake. You know, what you did, you don't, you didn't understand the consequences of it. And they will share with me. And then I'll try to fix the problem and try to avoid it for the next time. And I think like every manager, you need to find the balance where, you know, how you work well together. I tried, I hope, you know, it's my perspective. I hope they agree with me that I'm trying to be open on, on things I'm doing wrong. I wanted to speak about uh, threat intelligence. Um, my favorite field of interest, by the way. <laughs> uh, threat intelligence uh, geek, guilty as charged. And um, you know, as you know, as you manage uh, Cyberint and and heavily uh, invested within within threat intelligence and you know helping organizations uh, with threat intelligence, I mean, many organizations are struggling with you know flood of information, and I know you touched upon that uh, earlier when you know when you're trying to deliver something actionable and and provide a recommendation, actually things that one can do in order to uh, mitigate the, the threat and so on. But more than that, I mean, it's less of a problem than it used to be, but still many organizations and uh, specifically the older ones or the bigger ones with the more bureaucracy are still maybe struggling to understand the benefit or, or uh, what they, do they need to do with that or how to build the security team that will actually uh, leverage it and digest it and, and act upon it. As a vendor that you know come across, comes across many types of uh, prospects, clients, um, what would you tell like a, a big to small organization that you know do their first steps within uh, cybersecurity plus threat intelligence coming into play? It's a big question. I'll try to take it from a few angles, okay? Uh, first of all, maybe to say what Cyberint is doing in a, in a minute because it will help us to uh, explain my approach here. Cyberint took the approach of protection beyond the perimeter or maybe from the end of the edge of the perimeter to the end of the internet. This means we're doing actually in the today's market segmentation three things. We're doing attack surface management. So from the outside, we're looking at the organization and trying to identify what are the assets of that organization, ourselves. We, you know, if, when we work with a with a customer, we don't need it to tell them what what are the assets. Yesterday, I talked to a prospect in France, a very big company. I asked him, you know, you know, do you have seven hundred domains, and three thousand subdomains, and fifteen thousand IPs? He didn't know. 
how can he then give me this information so I protect him? So I believe, first of all, you need to be able to discover yourself the, uh, those assets. We're doing a full ASM, uh, tech surface management. And then on top of that, we have all the open deep and dark web and we're trying to identify whether there are any chat or any tension, any data leakage, et cetera. So overall, we're combining the full exposure uh, analysis, right? From the organization and what's outside covering six business risks today, digital exposure, um, data leakage, phishing, branded use, fraud, and techware. Now, our approach, you know, when we go to a prospect or a customer or prospect, we don't give him a long presentation about what cyber does. We show them themselves in our data. We already have all the data from the darknet and Telegram and many other areas, right? And we already have all this internet analyzed. Um, so I don't need, I already have all the data. And you can imagine when I go to an organization and I show them that they have the JIRA interface fully open and I have 60,000 tickets from the last three years with all the details of the customers open for me in case from today, you know, I don't need to convince them their problems, okay? When I go to a prospect and I show him that they have the credentials of three of their employees and I'm able to get in, and this is often for selling Russian market or Genesis or you know, too easy or one of those marketplaces, they have the ability to go to their management and show, hey, we are, we are you know, in a risk. You know, Brian, going back to your question, how can we help organization convince that they need threat intelligence or verify the consumer effectively within the organization, right? And here, I want to differentiate between two types of threat intelligence because there's, you know, it's very different things to different people. Uh, there are the re there's the reactive threat intelligence. This is my terminology. These are the IOC feeds that you get from multiple sources and vendors, some EDR or network tap or whatsoever found in a phishing site or a URL or a hash. And then you need to digest millions of those or hundreds of thousands in your SIEM and validate whoever from your organization got there. This is a very costly operation. And you need to be very mature organization with a mature team and log collection and IOCs and understand what you do. If three days ago, someone in a different country, in a different place, found that this is potentially phishing site, what you do to block it, quarantine it, it's a very tough process to, and you need very mature organization to handle. We have this capability, we have an IOC, you know, we analyze, collect, etc. but we believe in a different type of intelligence, which is, we call it proactive intelligence. So we are looking where you were mentioned, your organization, your domains, your VAPs, your products, your social media, your beings whatsoever, right? And we provide accurate, almost no false positive intelligence to you. So everything is actionable. And why I say proactive, because if you take this action, proactive action, you proactively reduce the risk. Very simply, if I find your credentials exposed, change the credentials, update the password or add an MFA or all of them together, you proactively reduce the risk. If I found an open port, if I found you know, a phishing kit being sold online, fix the vulnerability in the API, you proactively reduce the chance of getting it. So when I'm able to show an organization, usually they do a POC, right, a few days, that it's very accurate. It's very, for them, it's like two, three alerts a day for most organizations, meaning they, are, they have the capacity to act upon it. And because, because I believe the threat intelligence should have also a human factor, of course, as a software, as a CEO, it's best to sell only a software. Then your gross margins are higher, your multipliers are higher, et cetera. But in threat intelligence, I believe you should also provide a human element. 
that analyzes, that filters the noise and you know, verify what you receive is valuable. Then I, I think that case by case by case again, and we tripled the number of customers in the last year, even more than I believe, uh, we're able to convince people that that's, what, that's the next thing they need to put their dollar uh, into or the Euro or the Swiss franc, uh, depends on where you are in order to get, in order to improve your security. When, when you look at intelligence, then maybe just to add, what is proactive intelligence, right? Is it only things related to organization X on you? But then the question, what happens if you have something happens to organization Y, which is in the same sector? So remember the bank that had the phishing kit? What happened to another from an API abuse or vulnerability? What happens to bank Y in the same country? Should they also be worried from that? So we have today in the company three teams, three separate teams. One is your um, targeted intelligence team, the team that works for you, that knows your business, understands what's important for you, and verify you are able to remediate the problems we, we talk about. We have a team that is sectorial or vertical focused, so all financial, e-commerce, retail, gaming, telecom, or specific U.S. customers because or Israel customers, right? Because when you have uh, people targeting Israeli companies, it doesn't matter which company you are. You're tar- all, they target all of them. And uh, pharma, right? Or, you know, this is a, in Gilad's case. And then, and CISOs and threat intelligence teams, and, you know, they want to know what happens to others. And then there's the third layer, which is the global intelligence. So what happens in Log4j? What Lapsus is doing? What APT whatsoever are doing? Because it helps them to, you know, build the strategy in cybersecurity. So although this is not uh, very operational sometimes, it is not less important. And as some of C- one of the CISO told me, I want to know before my CEO. I don't want the CEO to ask me in the corridor, hey, you have you heard about that breach or that ransomware attack? And I would not, I would hear it from here for the first time. I want to have the knowledge and the power. So we try to deliver all three layers of intelligence, the targeted, the regional, sectorial, and the global, so you are able to uh, get continuous value even if you are specifically not targeted. When thinking about threat intelligence, we, we can't also ignore uh, your hobbies. And mm-hmm. um, threat intelligence, at the end of the day, it's also, um, you know, at least some of the time you're being an observer, you're, um, you're uh, getting signals, you're observing the, the ground, you're observing the network, depends what kind of intelligence you're doing, and you analyze it. Uh, you like, uh, it's, a, it's a, some kind of a switch, but switching to your hobbies, you like observing nature, you like observing um, uh, reserves, right? Uh, and you are very uh, successful and, uh, uh, you know, you have a very uh, rich background there. Um, can you tell a little about that? Because I think it's very interesting. Uh, it was a very smooth trans- transition. Thank you, Gilad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it in advance. <laughs> yes. I like hiking. I like traveling. I believe uh, that... Um, when when you, cl- you when you work three hours to climb a mountain, and I think people in Switzerland can appreciate that, maybe three hours is not enough for most of the mountains there. The view is much better if you drive by a car, right? You appreciate it's much more enjoyable. And I feel that this combination of nature, exercise, you know, working together, things a little bit slower is really really fun. So from very uh, young age, I, I I hike, I travel, I you know I used to guide in in. Uh, uh, youngsters in you know in, in, in high in high school so I know 
some answers about history, and I like history. Uh, my history teacher was very happy with me. Uh, um, so when I joined the military in Israel, uh, there was a competition. Who knows best Israel? It's part of you know the patriotism of you know building a soldier, right? And it's heritage, it's military heritage, uh, and in Israel and nature, geography, etc. And I said, okay, I will, I will go and answer. I will participate in these uh, uh, questions uh, because it also frame me from a duty, you know, a, a kitchen duty. So <laughs> of course, it was an easy decision to go and, and answer. And one thing led to another, and I became the champion of all of the IDF in Israeli. Uh, military heritage and, and knowledge. It was a very nice ceremony with Sadar. Some of it was in TV in the prime, prime time. It was, you know, it was really, really nice. Yes. <laughs> Didn't know it. <laughs> so people told me I know a lot of facts that no one cares about, which is true. Uh, so I know if I look at the flower, I can tell you what is the flower, right? And what you can do with it. And I look at the side and I can tell you what stones are, if it's limestones or others. And, what is so, uh, and what is the history and archaeology and many other things that I, I really, really like. And so when I go, it's like, it's like when you go to a museum, right? Uh, if I can give the analogy and you see a painting, you can maybe just enjoy if it's beautiful painting, but if you know the history of the painter and the period it operated in and the influence, you get so much more and you appreciate more. So unfortunately, in paintings, I'm not that good, but in looking at nature or, you know, a historical building, I, I really have all those layers. So I thought to myself, what do I do having this knowledge and certificate that I'm uh, general in, in this topic? And I, what I, because I was again in, in, uh, in the intelligence, I said, maybe I can send every weekend a recommendation where to hike or how to enjoy the weekend for everyone. Because I was also the IT manager of one of the departments. I had the, I had the right to open a special email address <laughs> and to send, to send emails to a few thousand people, okay? Uh, no one told me no, and I continued for a few months doing that. So every weekend, I saw people where you should, you know, where find a new nice spring or nice mountain or easy hike because I, I saw people going to the same places every time, and there's so much more to see. And when I finished my my service, people said, "Hey, you know, you have to continue with that." So I became a civilian. And I tried to find the domain and find the Tiuli. So Tiuli is, is a, there's no direct translation in, in English. Tiuli is like between hike and trip and travel. There's different you know, aspects to it. So Tiuli was the domain that was open. And so I registered tiuli.com. And, and I did the same. I wrote, uh, I didn't know to code, but one of my soldiers taught me HTML. So I started to create an HTML pages with a different, uh, different height. And one thing led to another, and Tiuli became the number one website in Israel for uh, travel. There are tens of thousands of people visiting every day. And Me included. In Austin, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and and on, on weekends and, uh, and holidays, like millions. Like I think almost all the population in Israel uh, that, that likes traveling are doing it. And what I got is the feedback that People told me that I changed, you know, how they enjoy nature and leisure time. So this uh, was really, really heartwarming. And I all did all of that in parallel to working, by the way. It was wow. all in the evenings, yes, I remember. And I 
And some someone asked my wife, so how is Theulis? Uh, she says it's like a child from the from from his uh, wife before, because it was like a baby for me, right? Since mm-hmm. 2003, I and she had to be with. She has to love it as well. And she became also. Now every trip I would go and I would take a lot of pictures because I want to upload them to the site. And you know, she said she could walk for half an hour without me because I was just stopping to take pictures, and the camera was not as good as we have today. So I did it for a long time. And actually, when I have a lecture uh, about uh, tourism and entrepreneurship, because it is found out I was an entrepreneur. It's a long word, entrepreneur. I found a gap in the market. Okay, I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it uh, because I had a passion, right? But that's maybe also a, a habit or an element of an entrepreneur. I found a problem or a gap in the market that I didn't see a solution for. And I just started doing it and I didn't have all the tools. So I just did it myself. I didn't know how to do SEO and how to make it in search engine. So I learned how to do SEO and I didn't know how to do marketing. So I learned marketing and I didn't know how to write code in SQL into databases. So I learned how to write code. Okay. Um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And every time I got feedback from the community, people would say, Hey, yes, great. For example, I want, so again, I can take many, many stories. I will let you add the questions, but at the end of the day, I found there's a big gap on how I help people know Israel and enjoy it. And I, and you know, over years I've done it, and I, I feel this is maybe the biggest accomplishment I have, maybe apart from cyber. But uh, it's my own baby, and it's like 20 years old now. Uh, really exciting, actually. Yes, and if you're a proud user, I'm happy. So you are still the the main contributor to to no. to the site, or you have a, how does that work now? Yeah, so it's, so every time I wanted to improve it. So after a few years, when I had like tens of thousands of uh, viewers, which in Israel is a lot, I said, okay, how can I monetize it? Um, and I said, let's open an e-shop for uh, hiking equipment, right? And I said, should we handle? There was no Amazon yet. Should I open the you know the shipping part and you know having inventory it was too complex i found, I found let's let's find a shop someone that has already of that and would have the e-shop and i found la metayel uh, which is a very nice chain of uh, is for the traveler if you do the direct translation and i found the ceo to be Yuval, to be someone that i really appreciate and like his point of view and after working there i says you know what maybe i can buy the company or buy tuli and I had to make a decision. Either it was so big, either I go and work only on that, I will, or because I worked in a full-time position in Hightech. So I had to make the decision and I said it makes more sense to uh, sell it to, to, to him. And then for five more years, I did, did do everything, the maintenance, the contribution, et cetera. But over time, we brought more people and you know we could generate, continue with the same philosophy of what is the union, what's the goal, which is free of charge and do many other things which are really good. So today I'm not the main contributor. There are many other people who contribute and there's a big community. And I felt it was also something letting the bird go out of the nest, right? Which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, allowing me to create new things like cyber. Don't you think, not just try intelligence, let's just call it corporate intelligence. I'd like to think it's uh, that's how we should regard it anyway. You don't think we're slowly getting there, meaning platforms and tools are going to evolve towards more collaboration, more user-generated uh, intelligence, or, or they will be, there will be what, more than one contributor 
it being your company in that case, there would be opportunities for, for external researchers, for clients to work on analysis together and then share information. Or, or you don't see the industry uh, moving in that direction. The way media, content, tourism is, is, is doing. Uh, I think there are a few elements to your to the answer here. First of all, if I'm a vendor and another vendor is trying to compete, it's very hard to collaborate. Although I can tell you, I'm going to have a meeting with the CEO of one of my competitors in two weeks because it makes sense to talk. Maybe there are some areas that you can collaborate, okay? Uh, and really believe in discussion. But look what we're doing in many other people. Look at our blog, blog.cyberint.cyberint.com, right? How many research reports we have there? On new marketplaces, on ATPs, on threat actors, on you know, uh, reverse engineering of malware, etc. Of course, we want to create our brand with it, but that's also a way of collaboration. And when we want to search about something, we go online and find a lot of data from you know many other companies as well that are good. So I think there is a collaboration in that aspect. In threat intelligence, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of free data available out there for people who want to use, and there are many other tools. But I can also tell you we're trying to do and we're doing it with a very big uh, research institute in Germany called Fraunhofer. I don't know if you're familiar with Fraunhofer in, in Darmstadt. I think it's the leading cybersecurity institute today in Germany. We're doing collaborative research. So academia and, uh, and companies can collaborate. It's not easy, by the way, because there are very different perspectives on publication and patents and you know different time. But we have now a PhD uh, a person in the company for three weeks now doing a joint research with our people. Um, and it's really fascinating to see this. And I, I, we, I really encourage it. What I also want to do in the summer is to bring entrepreneur, not entrepreneur, but uh, how you say, uh, um, summer program for master and PhD. Intern? Yes, intern. Yeah, but I know that I'm going to invest more time, but I'm giving access to all the data. We define some, you know, uh, research questions and let them do the work. And, you know, they get their experience. You know, our customers got seen, get more. We decide what is publicly available, you know, so what we can show with others without, you know, something a secret. So I really think, Simon, there is a really point to your questions. In a competitive environment, right, you, you know, we are measured on money. They're not, it's not always possible. But I think we should work as a team because the hackers, you know, also working as teams sometimes, right? They are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should start your own uh, affiliate program like uh, ransomware groups do. <laughs> amazing. It's really amazing. I think the Conti leaked, and we did a very big research on that. Shows you how, and you know, there was CNBC published our research on how the HR department worked there and, you know, the different and, you know, the referral program they have. Yes, yeah, so we need to be smart. I thought about the uh, transition we made earlier from, you know, threading to Tiuli and, and, you know, you being uh, an observer and, uh, and a hiker and so on. And actually, based on what you said, I do see lots of uh, similarities, to be, to be honest, because you had to learn everything from scratch. You had to learn how to build a website. You had to, to do SEO. And you had to uh, learn the, the, the hiking spots and, you know, nature reserves every time and every weekend, actually, which, you know, really, um, in some way, really uh, uh, symbolizes some of the work that many threat intelligence team, teams around the globe are doing every day. Because 
you know, their CISO is reaching out, their CEO, the, even the product manager with this new topic, this new feature, this new uh, field of interest and, and, and curiosity and, and technical skills and, uh, you know, knowledge, the more you have, the better because you need to, you know, learn things from scratch and, you know, act upon them. So just a thought I wanted to share. Definitely, and I can tell you, I encourage people, and not everyone has this, you know, personality. And we need to understand that not everyone are the same, and we need to have different capabilities with the different teams, right? Uh, it's important to. But if someone has this internal uh, engine, is to go beyond. Especially, in, you know, we are not a huge organization, and not, you know, I believe everyone should do whatever they can contribute in every field, right? course not trying to step over other stuff people's toes but really work work uh, on other things and i believe that you need to have parallel uh, expertise for now you know my current hobby by the way i have many hobbies but i like playing instruments etc but i'm now a pilot so uh, i like flying around israel and you know you know if i want to have a nature in the north right instead of driving three hours i can take a plane in 45 minutes i can be there and i really and and I do reserve, so like two, three weeks a year. And from every experience like that, you know, as a pilot or as a, a reservist or as a CEO or as, you know, just when walking, you get a different perspective to the same problem. How do you lead a team? How do you handle problem? You know, for example, in pilots, in, in an aircraft, everything, there's procedure for everything. You don't improvise, okay? You try to make, you know, safety is number one and you want to verify you have as little place for and you don't give away checking the engine every time before you go up every time even though you know it's okay you just flew two minutes ago you do it again you don't and i think which of those situations we need to apply to the company now in which cases we need to create a procedure where there's a clear language alpha bravo charlie delta echo everyone in there knows how to do the phonetic alphabet you know it's a very clear language you you, you test yourself on it you you don't say affirmative because it's similar to negative on the radio. You say affirm. You, you understand what doesn't work and you create a language and a process and a method. Okay, so I take this type of uh, thinking and try to apply it on the relevant aspects in cyber. Okay. And I see what you do in the military exercise again. It's not similar to company, but there are things you can adopt. So to your you know, comments, uh, I believe people, I encourage people to have more than one life, not only as a developer or product or salesperson, having other personalities and investing their time. It will enrich you. It will give you the place to uh, have a refuge, right? When, when things are on pressure and then in two hours flying, you know, I'm, I'm fresh, like I can start things from, from the beginning or, or hiking the same. So this would be my recommendation for everyone, if they can, of course. I like the recommendation. <laughs> you're in a growing industry, in a very competitive space, and and although you're, you know, located in a part of the world where you have access to to as much talent as 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 you could, probably more than in some other parts of the world, uh, it, it still must be a challenge to 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 hire and to retain talent. Um, yes. Is that something as a CEO that that you delegate to? You know, I don't know if you have a chief chief people officer or head of HR, or is that something you're, you're deeply involved in? And, and what do you think companies could do to better their approach to the employment market and, and to retain talent? I mean, what can a CEO do uh, 
besides being you know transparent and, and honest and try to, to 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 have a clear vision so that people are on board wow very tough question by the way so simon gilad is talking about hiking and travel and things like that and you're going to the serious part i understand that um, uh, <laughs> enough, <laughs> en- enough enough of that uh, fluffy stuff let's get serious <laughs> <laughs> no i'm uh, I'm yeah, trying to, uh, to, to take this opportunity because you're, uh, uh, you definitely have some, some wisdom to, to share with us. So. <laughs> First of all, recruitment is a problem for everyone today. All the managers, everyone in the company. And in the last all hands, for example, uh, last week, uh, I shared, oh, I, I 100% agree, you need to be transparent. I tried to send every two weeks emails to all of the company, showing them what's going on. So they are seeing the good. Most of the good, people are not always are seeing the good, right? Because they're focused on the problems and what they don't have time to finish and this uh, annoying partner or, you know, a colleague or whatever. So I want them to see the big picture, which is really, really amazing. And also the bad, because that's part of life. You cannot have the good only. Uh, so I agree, you need to be transparent. You need to share. Uh, people need to understand they, why they're working for you. Uh, we need to verify. And before we go about new talent, we need to retain talent which is, I think, the biggest talent challenge today. Uh, people come and go because of the boss in many cases. Okay, so how do we give? I don't know if I'm a good boss or bad boss. It's not, I cannot measure myself. Okay, but how do I give the tools to others for my managers to be good, better? What's training program? How do I uh, leverage their knowledge? Do we do enough in this area? That's some of the questions that we as a management are trying to do. Do we give them enough tools to be better? Um, and then the recruitment is a problem for everyone, including myself. So which areas I want. So do I have, first of all, like in any problem, you need to manage the problem. Is there a KPI? What do you want to achieve? Who owns the problem? And how is the team you manage? So now we have 35 open positions, okay? Just to give you maybe 38, something like this. On a weekly basis, the management looks at it. It's not the problem of VPHR. By the way, chief people officer, I don't know, I, I like to make it as a small organization, not too many titles. I think they are not always helpful. Uh, this is a problem for everyone and everyone needs to acknowledge. And it's, it's not their problem. Did we get enough CVs? Did we publish? Did it, the managers themselves go to LinkedIn or call their friends? We just change the, the referral program. I prefer to pay our employees rather than headhunters. So I increased every person that brings CV. Just print the CV, get $100. If the, the person went through an interview, another $100, okay, et cetera, et cetera. Because I like this incentive. Yeah, it's very, it it's works. not only they're hired. It's Can needed. I also send CVs? Yes, yes, but I, but I <laughs> he's going to scrape LinkedIn for CVs. <laughs> of course, there is abuse. You know, I, I, I'm still, uh, could be an abuse, but so far we did see it. Uh, yeah. But I tell you, Gilad, which employee I like, so they, they will get the hundred dollars, right? <laughs> I really prefer getting my my employees the money is bonus rather than headhunters that you know. Of course, they have a job and they need to, but I want them to get more. It's like nothing needs it, a customer referral. It's the same I, for recruiting. We have a goal. We have a goal, and we measure it on a monthly basis as management. That twenty percent of the of the new employees are coming from referral program, internal referral program. It's a goal, and is the management. If we don't do that, we fail. And my VP already asked, what should I do to do that? And for example, in my last brainstorm with the manager, we understood that we are not sharing enough details to new employees why we are good. So 
So we wrote that we are going to prospect. We wrote now. So your conversion rate was the problem rather than your lead generation in terms of recruits. You weren't uh, able well, to convert those to employees. We, we had problems in all places. Let me put yeah, it yeah. this way. <laughs> okay, it was not one thing only. But in every place, you need to understand it. And for example, we created a, a brochure, okay? And a com- com- you know, for, empl- for a prospect, for not prospects, for candidates. Why, why working for cybering? And there's a different one for a salesperson and different one for an R&D because they care about different things. You know, this prospect, this process of defining why should someone work for cybering and putting it on paper, by itself made us better as an organization. So it's a big problem. There's no one solution. You can ask about hybrid or working from home versus, you know, being in the office. I believe that hybrid is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least one or two days in the office is mandatory to get this innovation and people, you know, connected. Don't waste time on traffic. Um, so there are many elements to that. And uh, I think Israel is a, is a, uh, is a patriot, right? And Israel needs to understand how to bring more people to this economy because the salaries at the end of the day, which are becoming very, very high, um, will hurt the industry, okay? And it's not the problem of the employees that wants money because it's the demand and, you know, they, they, if they can get more, they should get more. It's very simple, okay? So as a country, we need to find how we get more populations that are able to join. And as a company, how can I get more people that are not just from A200 with the 10 of friends that I know? How do I get people that are uh, coming from places that were maybe not as lucky as others? And how we get more women? I think we are one of the companies with the highest women to men ratio in the, in, in, in the industry. We really believe and I prefer... I give small advantage to women in any position if I can, uh, because I, I would like to have full, I think we're not using this enough, right? And I think uh, women have a hard time. I, I, had a, I had an employee which she came and she told us we are in fourth month pregnant. She said, very good. You know, we have now five months to enjoy and come back after you finish. I'm also a father. Um, and I, I think fem- we need to encourage young families uh, and give the, everyone the chance to, uh, but Simon, big problem, sorry. It's not that easy to yeah, solve. Yeah. And thank you, you for so, raising it. So you're, you're also open to, I'm guessing, recruiting outside of Israel for roles that maybe two, three years ago you would have never thought of. For me today, the location is not important in a way because we found that it's... But we need to understand, can we... When you do it, you create a communication gap. Do you have the right tools and methods to overcome it or it's too, over, too much overhead to... You know, make it work, and for now, you need to have a position here. Today, we have analysts, just to give an example, in three locations we have in the US, we have in Israel, and we have in the Philippines. And we, it works very well. It didn't work as well in the beginning. Today, I have no problem to hire 10 more people in the Philippines if I, if I have the need because I can find talent there. I know how to train them and how to create the mechanism. So, yes, definitely. Yes. But we hired three developers, we had a team in Ukraine a year ago, and it didn't work well. We couldn't onboard them effectively. We couldn't manage them effectively. So I also learned the lesson. I'm, you know, I'm very open also to share. When you go and you know hire someone abroad, you need to verify the management capacity to train them and understand there is gap in language and culture in, in days. When do you do the team meetings? We used to do it on Sunday. Suddenly, they don't work on Sunday. You need to speak in English instead of Hebrew. You know. Can everyone, you know, communicate effectively in English in the team? It's mm-hmm. not that simple, right? So it's not a straight yes answer. I think geography-wise and, you know, teams and, you know, Zoom, etc. I found we can 
we don't have people in the office as much as before. If for some reason you had to move the company, uh, mm -hmm. which country would you choose if you could move it anywhere in the world? Not wow. just thinking about the market opportunity here, because <laughs> I, I I remind uh, it's a tough, tough question. Let's see if I have an I don't know if I have an answer for you, but I give you one reason. For example, I talked I interviewed someone from Digital Shadows, okay, which is a, a one of our uh, another player yeah. in the market, right? I think of course we are better and greater and everything else, but as you should respect. And I definitely respect them. And it says, you know, I, and this guy, which was uh, director or VP level, I don't remember, in the customer success, he said, I envy you. I said, why do you envy me? He said, you know, I get people which are graduates from university for threat intelligence analysts, and, you know, they know zero. I have to train them from scratch because we know what is in a university graduate, right? I remember myself. Uh, I get people in Israel that in the age of 21, already with three years of operational experience that is irreplaceable you know, to anything you do in work, right? So to find this talent, this openness, this ability to fail. In Israel, failure, and you know, I get, you know, I also like to talk about the culture of Israel and startup nation, etc. I can give a lecture about that. It's okay to fail in Israel. It's okay. Uh, to make mistakes. And in intelligence, because we had this big catastrophe in the 73 world, right, in the Kippur war, we allow people in very low rank, say to a general, 10 degrees above them, you are wrong. You are definitely wrong. And let me show you how. In the American culture and maybe other, many other, it will not be possible to speak to someone above three times above your, your grade. So it's not about... I think this culture is part of the value of cyber it, okay? Uh, the fact that I can call my customers say you are making a mistake, this is how you should interpret and, you know, take them a little bit. Um, so I'm not sure where else can I get this culture. And I didn't, I grew up in New Zealand, New Zealand for a year when I was a kid. Uh, so very beautiful place, New Zealand, very calm, very far away from every, every, every place. So New Zealand is beautiful. It is from nature wise, maybe this should be the place that I would go. Uh, but for now, I stay in Israel, it's okay. You never ask an Israeli where would he leave his country to because people would get mad at him afterwards. <laughs> I, I really think, you know, we have many problems as a nation, right? Many challenges internal and external, but I think yeah. we, we've been so, far, so much so far. Uh, I, I, enjoy I want to create more job positions, more, I want to pay more salaries to more Israeli if possible, and not just the main core, but other uh, populations as well. But I also understand that I have customers and the customers meet their counterpart, cyberint, to be in their time zone and in the language and their mentality. So cyberint today's offices, I think in Mexico, US, two places, Netherlands, Israel, Philippines, and Singapore, I think seven if I count correctly, to allow us to be more tuned to our customer and this this combination of Mexican, Israeli, Filipino, Israel, American, Israel, I think we get, uh, in most cases, the good things out of it. Thanks for giving us a very nice glimpse into your world as the CEO and as the CEO of Cyberint. I think it was very interesting and you know, also combining your uh, personal life and hobbies. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it and hope listeners again learn some wonderful things. Mm -hmm.